This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. We've all probably heard of the simple concept called freedom of expression. But what exactly is it? Why is it important? And is there such a thing as too much freedom of expression? I'm Darshan Johan and this is Today I Learned. Joining me on the show today is Nalini Elumalai. She's the Senior Program Manager at Article 19 Malaysia. Welcome to the show, Nalini. How are you? Hi, Dash. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Let's start with the basics, right, Nalini? What is freedom of expression? Okay, so uh, freedom of expression... uh, is the freedom for all of us to express ourselves, like you and me doing at the moment, right? Mm-hmm. So it is the right to speak, right to be heard, um, in and to participate in political or artistic, um, social life. You know, it also includes uh, right to know, uh, like right to seek, to receive and share information through any media and or through any medium. So, for example, when you share your views or seek out for information online or offline, you're exercising your right to freedom of expression. Um, When you criticize your government for not living up to their promises, you're exercising your right to freedom of expression. Um, When you attend a peaceful protest or organize one, you're exercising your right to freedom of expression. Um, For example, when you create a work of art, uh, you're exercising your right to freedom of expression, right? right? So basically, it's to ex whatever that we express, regardless of the frontiers, right? Like memes or photos or movies or you know arts or anything, you know, it's a freedom of expression. It's it's part of the uh, part of our life, you know. It's something that we express every day. It's freedom of expression. Right. So, um, with that in mind, do you consider um, you know, a freedom of expression a fundamental human right? And if you do, why is it so? Why should we look at it as a fundamental human right? Yeah, so freedom of expression is fundamental, right? But it's not absolute. So I'll come to that later. But what we mean when we say it's fundamental, right, is, is essential for the enjoyment and protection of all human rights. You know, when I mean all human rights, it's like every human rights that are available. With the right to freedom of expression, every person, every community, every society can ask for the most fundamental uh, things that they need, like water, food, shelter, uh, clean hair, healthcare, education, decent work, fair wages, right? Um, Right to practice the faith of your choice or you not don't want to practice uh, any faith to love, to marry whoever we want, or to stand in solidarity with those who suffer, um, you know, uh, and for rich and poor to be treated equally before the law and so on and so forth. So in other words, Dash, freedom of expression is lifeblood of democracy. And, and that's why we say it's fundamental for democracy. I think that's a very um, interesting way, a very powerful um, sentence you said, the lifeblood of democracy. So Mm -hmm. let's dive into that. How does freedom of expression contribute to the functioning of a democratic society? Okay, so we all know the democracy's goal is to have a plural, uh, acceptable and tolerant society, like everybody's, you know, uh, have been accepted and and we leave can we can coexist together and for this to happen uh, successfully right people should be able to speak freely um, openly about how they would like to be governed and to criticize those who are in power 
Um, so this exchange of ideas or opinion isn't just once off on election day, you know, because pe- when we talk about democracy, people always think it's all about election, but it's not. It's not just one off thing, but it's rather it's ongoing two way communication, which happens throughout our life, you know, and, right. and that's the, that's the goal of democracy and freedom of expression. So I would put like five ways how freedom of expression is contributing to democracy. The okay. first is it battles for the truth. Right mm. to enable people to make meaningful decisions about how they want to society function. Uh, they need access to truthful and accurate information about wide range of topics. This also can happen if people feel safe vocalizing the issues affecting their community. So safeguarding freedom of expressions or freedom of speech encourages people to speak up, which make it easier to tackle systemic issues from inside. Right. And this deters people from abusing their power, right. which actually helps everyone in the long run, you know, and it, that's how it should be. Mm-hmm. Number two, it makes everyone more accountable. So, for example, when it comes to elections, people are given the opportunity to hold their politician to be accountable, right? In order to decide who to vote for, they need to understand how well a political party has performed while in power or whether or not they fully fulfill their election promises. Right. Mm-hmm. And by reporting on society's most pressing issues, media and civil society or political parties contribute to the public perception of how well the government is doing. So, however, this only will be helpful if we have an environment that we can freely express ourselves and media can freely cover stories that are critical of, of the state. Right. Yeah? And it makes everyone accountable. Number three is active participation of in, in citizens or people, right? Free speech or freedom of expression reinforces other fundamental rights as uh, such as like freedom of assembly, for example. Right. So when citizens exercise um, um, right to influence public decision by making like attending protests or demonstrations or participating in campaigns, this allows them to protest an unpopular decisions, right? Mm-hmm. So it, freedom of expression is also allowing that to happen. Number four, it also promotes equal treatment of minorities. Um, in democratic society, everyone should be treated equally and fairly, right? However, mm-hmm. we know in Malaysia, for example, how minority groups are underrepresented and also how being treated inequally. Um, you know, they are being sidelined and their opinions always neglected in favor of those belonging to the social dominant social group. So by campaigning or by speaking up, you know, by expressing is the only way that they could express, the community can express themselves. Uh, you know, they can tell their, you know, part of the story to get public support for their cause. So freedom of expression actually will influence or will increases the ability of um, you know the these communities right. to set up a public agenda or a put an end to human rights abuses. So it has a role to play, you know, even to make sure the the minorities are safe because they need to be heard and they, their stories need to be told to actually to put end to discrimination and also a style environment so that they won't be sidelined, right? And right. and finally, it's necessary for change and innovation, right? So we mm-hmm. all want a society to become better for everyone. Society that has empathy, society that's loving, caring, 
But for that to happen, society need to encourage and foster freedom of expression, you know, because authoritarian governments who suppress criticism and will and they will withhold public interest um, information and deny uh, citizen right to make decisions, right? Or right. informed decision or take action about important social issues. So freedom of expression is actually will encourage, you know, everyone, um, uh, every change that happened, you know, um, to be important. So it will ha- help you to, you know, express, uh, you know, everything that needed to make the change to happen. Right. Uh, you know, so these are the five ways that I would put how freedom of expression contribute to democracy. Now, Nalini, oftentimes, right, some people may argue and say, you know, freedom of expression can cause a lot of disharmony in society, could have Mm. a lot of clash of ideas and so on Mm. and so forth, especially Mm. in a diverse society. But on Mm. the flip side, I'm curious, what role or if it does play any role at all, um, freedom of expression, when it comes to fostering social progress and cultural diversity? Mm. I think, you know, freedom of expression um, is actually uh, encouraged uh, or is important tool to promote the diversity of cultural expressions. Right. Um, you know, free cultural expression through values, uh, beliefs, um, you know, languages, knowledge, and arts or institution is you know the way of life enables people to express their humanity, their worldview, and their cultural heritage. Right. So this would this would actually able to stop the atmosphere where people have no uh, clue about any culture or any community. You know, it will also will stop atmosphere where um, intimidation, you know, where people uh, are not allowed to speak about their culture or not allowed to um, express about themselves. Right. And this also will allow discussions of important topics like identity, institutionalized bias or discrimination and damaging stereotypes. So with more speech or with more expressions, Debates and discussion will happen, you know, then we would able to understand a culture, we would able to understand a person or community better. And this will actually will allow us to, uh, you know, end a hater that we have for each other, unnecessary hater that we have for each other. I don't know why people need to hate each other when they don't understand each other, when they don't know each other, right? Mm -hmm. So for me, in my opinion, this also will be one way to end um, discrimination, um, you know, and also hate speech, for example, against a certain community. Um, so promoting um, freedom of expression, you're also able to promote your own culture, the community. And for that, you know, it also effective way, in my opinion, to, you know, to address the racial discrimination or hate speech or any hostile environment in Malaysia. So I think when you have more speech, right, the the more people will know about a culture or any community, then that will stop misunderstandings, you right. know. And that means that people are informed about certain people, certain community. Then you wouldn't go to social media and say something nasty about them anymore. Right. In fact, you will be celebrating the differences. That's what I think. Absolutely. Now you've, I think you've broke things down, broke things down really well in terms of. Um, the importance of freedom of expression. Um, on the flip side, what would you say are the consequences of restricting freedom of expression? Yeah, just, um, and you know, Dash, because freedom of expression, as I mentioned earlier, it is fundamental, right? But it's right. not absolute, right? That means yes. like in, at some point, um, you know, freedom of expression will be limited. 
um, based on the expressions, whether the expression has caused harm or not, right? Mm-hmm. As I mentioned, like hate speech and things like that. Um, but any any restrictions of freedom of expression without using the standards that you know um, standards like um, for example we have international standard right right um, so um, when you limiting a speech you need to look into three part tests right whether um, there is a there is a incitement um, whether uh, there is a um, you know a public uh, safety or you know uh, national security. Uh, has been um, uh, contested. Um, So we have to see this element, whether um, there's a legitimate aim for that restriction or not, right? Mm -hmm. So when there is a a legitimate aim for restricting a speech, then it's fine. But what's happened, um, you know, normally is like, we're just restricting every speech that we think it's dangerous, right? Right. And the consequences of like, um, um, restricting us freedom of expression without going through this part test is um we will be becoming uh become an unquestioning failing society you know mm-hmm. which we will not able to develop any further right the right. use of repressive laws to restrict opinion or criticism is also denying the fundamental role of the of the people the rakyat the civil societies and and, and opposition for example in any democratic society country to be the check and balance you know right. and the consequences is also that it's a human rights violations you know so the more you restricting a speech without going to the three-part test or without even that fall into uh, um, legitimate restriction so you are conducting a human rights violation that is the biggest consequences of restricting freedom of expression all right, let's go for a very quick break. On the show with me today is Nalini Elumale. She's a senior program manager at Article 19 Malaysia. We continue this discussion after the break. Keep it here on Today I Learned, BFM 89.9. Welcome back to Today I Learned. I'm Dashan Johan and on the show with me today is Nalini Elumalai. She's the Senior Program Manager at Article 19 Malaysia and she's giving me the 101 on freedom of expression. So Nalini, I want to talk about um, the digital age because things are changing. Um, things have um, changed so much when you know compared today to let's say 30 years ago, 20 years ago. I'm wondering how has the concept of freedom of expression evolve to encompass online spaces and social media platforms as well? Yeah, thanks, Dash. It's a, it's a very important uh, question. But I think before I get into how uh, FOE evolved to you know online spaces, I just right. want to clarify certain things that people have some... some I always get in my trainings and also people have this confusion. Right. Um, so um, before... Uh, I think firstly... People need to understand human rights is about human dignity. So right. this doesn't change online or offline. That's my first point, right? Mm-hmm. Human dignity is immutable. Even as mankind leaves the industrial age or enter into information of digital age, human rights is human dignity, you know, and it doesn't change online, offline. That means right. rights that people have offline must also be protected online. Because individuals' rights are protected under the Universal Declaration of, of Human Rights right. and under the international law. So what people always have this confusion is like, 
whether the the rights that I have offline is different from rights that I have online. But what I'm saying is rights that we have offline is also protected online, meaning because we are individuals and our rights are protected, right? Right. So the protection and the medians of, of um, uh, freedom of expression maybe could be different based on what being expressed, whether it's online or offline. But the problem is not that the rights, new rights are missing, right? Mm. The problem is that old rights are not respected on the new technological environment, right. which is online platform. So the thing is, people shouldn't confuse that whether I have a different rights when it's come to online or whether I have a different rights when I'm, you know, I'm expressing offline. No, people have the similar rights, all the rights. And but as I say, there's no rights are missing. It's just that the, the problem is that these rights are not respected in the new age, in the new technology uh, environment, you know. So yeah. that's that's what that's most important for us to understand that we, we still have the same rights online as well. So just going into the question, right, like mm -hmm. how this internet and uh, social media is, you know, like evolve and things like that. I would say... Firstly, I would see from a very positive point of view, right? Right. Um, um, internet, social media in particular, right? It has opened a door to which sentiments and opinion can reach uh, the public as never before, you know? Um, it also, of course, you know, it has becoming challenging to draw the line between, you know, for example, free speech and hate speech, right. or public and private opinions and hate and harassment. Um, you know, and to separate truth and untruth. Right. Um, so the changing character of, uh, you know, um, in the media, uh, the new perspective on uh, freedom of expression is also increasing. Um, now people can can um, interpret words and images, you know, uh, differently online and offline, for example. Um, so I think I think the most important that that how uh, people need to understand is. Um, the defense of freedom of expression is basically um, demands a continuous dialogue as to where the bound should be drawn, be it online or offline space, right? Right. Um, that's most important. You know, this is particularly relevant in our society where many cultures, traditions, and political convictions exist side by side. Okay. Mm -hmm. So we must create an online space where such dialogue on public sphere can happen and people are ready to listen to each other despite their differing views and values, right? Mm -hmm. um, so in, in, in summary, what I would say is like freedom of expression can never be taken for granted online or offline, but it must be continuously be reasoned and given substance and at any age of uh, change or era of change, right. you know, that, that's what I'm saying. So let's not, let's not, um, forget that these rights exist since we born and you know it will evolve but let's not forget that you know your fundamental rights and also let's not forget it's not absolute it will be restricted and it's like as I say uh, as I mentioned before Dash that when you have a very open environment more free speech more expression and I think these challenges can be overcome so we wouldn't see the digital age as something danger mm -hmm. but it actually it will be very positive if we have more uh, um, you know free environment for it to express ourselves now i want to hone in on malaysia um our political history um, nalini 
Um, you've been doing this for many years. Um, you've been, um, you know, studying freedom of expression for 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 a very long time now. Um, mm. when you look at Malaysia, how has our civic space and the ability for people to express themselves evolved over the years? Especially when we compare, let's say, um, you know, in the late fifties after independence mm. in the sixties, compared mm. to where we are today in twenty twenty three. Yeah, I think historically, Malaysians in every generation in every age. Um, a fight for better democracy and civic space, right? right? I think we should give credit to the, all the fighters and all the movements who actually bring those changes throughout the years. And we had some popular people's movement, right? Like uprising, uh, like Bursi or Indra for all the other right. social movements and civil society who were actually born to fight for human rights for all, uh, women's rights movements and to end repressive laws and many others, right? So in my opinion, every uprising and movements and a consistent work to make Malaysia a better place are given us the right to express ourselves and actually has given us a um, you know a this civic space for us to express ourselves. I know that we still have the restrictive environment and we still have the restrictive repressive law, but we also have an environment where there is uprising, where people are constantly breaking that. Um, you know, uh, restrictions um, by, you know, having more speeches, by doing more protests, for example, right? Right. And now we we also have internet and social media that we never had in the past, right? Right. There's no social media or internet in the 50s or 60s. Now we can reach out to more people, you know, and as I say, it it is actually open a door for more people to, to be um, critical or more people to be um, informed um, you know, uh, people have more uh, um, room to understand issues. Um, but we also have um, an environment where um, we also see Malaysia is becoming more and more polarized, right? Right. But that the deepening of polarization over race and religion also affected Malaysia as a society and is also, you know, powerfully have shaped social political uh, landscape. So I think that because of this so much of, you know, hate and also um, so much insecurity between, you know, people, I think, you know, that also have uh, the tensions is holding, um, holding us from expressing ourselves, right? Right. To have a more uh, pluralist views um, or, you know, so in this case, like, I think um, this en entire environment is also being occupied by um, people who are not willing to listen to each other, right? Um, so this also is actually creating an environment where there's a toxic environment right. where we're not able to say anything that we want. But nevertheless, I think um, the most important now is like, you know, more and more people need to be educated, need to be uh, understand that, you know, it's okay to have a different opinion. It's okay to fight against those toxic environments um, you know, and if we all have a a, um, a become more and more polarized, you know. Um, so I think that is that is um, very important uh, for us. What we learn from the past is like no matter what, you need to stay together, you know, to to make sure that we can we can still keep this civic space for right. ourselves or to express ourselves. And it's very, very important in democracy, you know, for us Absolutely. to um, for us to have a better, better uh, society and country. 
What would you say are some of the common misconceptions people have about freedom of expression? <laughs> I think I've seen people say, they say, we can say whatever we want because this is my freedom of expression, right? Um, but I think, uh, um, but unfortunately, as I said, you know, it is fundamental, but it's not absolute, you know? So I think this means that it can be limited in exceptional circumstances, like I mentioned before. Like, you know, I think people need to understand and distinguish between, number one, speech that encourages violence and discrimination against people. That means speeches that inciting violence uh, or racial hate, which should be prohibited, right? right? And number two, speech that criticizes or challenges ideas or status quo, like, you know, criticizing government, nation or anything, which should be protected, um, right. even if it's offensive or unpopular. Uh, but these speeches are protected even under the international law. And we should be able to criticize those who are governing us if they're not doing the right thing, for example, right? Um, right. Because it lets let us learn about different ideas and challenge uh, those in power. So people need to distinguish, like, your when you express yourself, People need to know whether you're inciting violence or actually you're only criticizing, um, you know. So I think we need to distinguish. So not everything is freedom of expression because we do have to, we do have, you know, um, an environment where we can limit a speech if it's inciting violence or discrimination, right? right. The second perception that I always hear is like mm, anything touches on sensitive or controversial issues is not freedom of expression you know what i mean right. um so i think you know quoting from like international law and human rights protects people you know not ideas states or symbols you know it protects people right. who believe manifest and practice those ideas for example uh dutch if you believe in a religion mm -hmm. um and you are being attacked because you believe in certain religion and that you will be protected because international law protects individuals right. you know not the ideas or anything so people always often think that um for example uh humor or satire you know that is offensive or provokes discomfort is 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 actually a uh, hate speech or you know it's not freedom of expression but under international law it is very protected speech you know mm -hmm. and as i say any restriction on the right to freedom of expression including right to joke, you know, must right. meet the strict requirements of having legitimate aim, the three-part test, as it's, you know, necessity and proportionate. And it must be, you know, um, it must have a legitimate aim for you to restrict uh, that uh, any expression, right? So these right. are the main misconceptions that people always have. And I what I always tell, um, even in my trainings and everything, like express yourself regardless of, you know, like it, it's important to express yourself the most important is like don't incite violence. If you don't know anything about anyone or any community, pause, you know, look for information, right. study, read, and then you can you can decide, you know, on your own, you know. So you can judge for yourself. But stop jumping into uh, to the crowd and you know supporting the hater. Don't do that, you know. So, yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. Now, Nalinia, you know. Throughout this conversation, you have repeatedly stressed and highlighted that, you know, uh, freedom of uh, expression is a, a fundamental human right, but it's not absolute. Mm -hmm. And just like that, in many parts of the world, um, you know, uh, the freedom of expression laws um, um, 
sort of differ. Uh, for example, in a country like Singapore, they have very, very strict, um, you know, freedom of exp- expression laws um, that that prevent dissent, that prevent um, expression and, and so on and so forth. In Malaysia, we can say that we have opened up our civic space a little bit more. And then you have countries like the US where, yes, there is still um, some uh, sort of restrictions, um, despite mm-hmm. what they are, they are, they may say. For example, you know that there's a reason why Edward Snowden and Julian Assange mm-hmm. and all these people are are you know um, fugitives essentially, right? Uh, mm-hmm. um, you know they're seeking asylum in other countries and so on and so forth. So, how do you how would you answer this question, right? Should freedom of expression have its limitations? Because even in the the whole US example, there are limitations, but then there are certain things that can be done, right? Um, mm. For example, in US is one of the countries where you can have a progressive rally of any sorts, um, mm. and you can also have a neo-Nazi rally, mm-hmm. um, and that's also not restricted by law, right? Technically, mm. so how do you answer this question? Should freedom of expression have its limitations? Yeah, Dash, I think um, it it is already in the international law, you know, right. that as I mentioned a couple of times, and it's it's fundamental, but it's not absolute. So I right. just want to get into this this you know when I talk about international law, I just want to get into this. Uh, international covenant on civil and political rights, the ICCPR, right. where clearly stated the the restrictions of freedom of expression. So Article nine, um, nineteen, sorry, Article nineteen of ICCPR, right, mm-hmm. is basically article that you know allows everyone to have freedom of expression, right to seek information, regardless of frontiers or you know any media. Right. So that is basically we all have right to freedom of expression. Right. Article 19.2 is basically the state has a responsibility to provide an environment where we are all able to express ourselves freely. Right? right. Without any restrictions. Now, the important is Article 19.3. Right. The mm-hmm. article where clearly stated any restrictions to freedom of expression should have three part tests. You know, so first of all, restrictions should be provided by law. There should be legitimate aim. So when I say legitimate aim to restrict, like I mean, mm-hmm. like if it it has failed to serve to protect the rights or, or reputation of others, or danger the national security or public order or public health or public morale. So that is legitimate. So when you restrict a speech, you need to see whether the speech has actually fall into this category of whether it is danger the national security or public order or public health or morals or reputation or rights of others, right? If right. it doesn't fall into that, it's not, um, that speech shouldn't be restricted. You know what I mean? Right. And then it must be necessary and proportionate. So when we say that it's necessary and proportionate, meaning that any sanctions, um, when we are restricting restricting a speech, it must be necessary, but it also must be proportionate. So you cannot punish someone like beyond, you know, what is supposed to be. So it also right. has to be very proportionate. So when you see the how the international law is actually uh, put down the restriction, you see there are so many words and so many things to follow, <laughs> right? That means people take freedom of expression very, very important. It's very, very essential, right? So when you're restricting a speech, you have a responsibility to make sure that you're not violating somebody's rights, right? right? And so the restriction must be clearly and narrowly defined and respond to pressing social need. That means right. that, you know, the government has to tell us why you're actually restricting a speech. So you have to clearly and narrowly have to define. And it shouldn't be overbroad. 
right. in the sense that they sh- they do not restrict speech in a wide or under targeted way you know untargeted way or go beyond the scope of harmful speech or rule of legitimate speech you know right. so there's a lot of things to follow when you restrict a speech now come back to article 22 of ICCPR mm-hmm. is the article that is actually requires states to prohibit by law any advocacy of national racial or religious status that constitutes incitement to discrimination hostility or violence right. you know so that means these speeches that has all these elements will be prohibited by by the state you know right. but even when you are restricting for example hate speech will be you know fall into this category or incitement to violence will fall into this category but even when you are restricting under the article 22 of iccpr you still need to follow the article 93 three part test right right so it is very interconnected so when you restricting speech any point of time you need to follow the three part test right? right and when you identifying whether the speech is um in dangerous or if the speech is actually inciting violence or not you need to follow six part test of rabat plan of action that means you need to look into the context you need to look into the speaker you need to look into the intent of the speaker you need to look into how a uh, widespread the speech has gone to you need to uh, see you know what medium has been used to spread that speech and most important whether the speech has caused harm or not right, right? so in short dash any restriction on freedom of expression or speech should only protect people from harm you know right. not from criticism and think- you know and it's people with the least power need more protection I think that's a very very good way of uh, framing it for us. Now, before we wrap this conversation up, Lanili, just looking ahead, what are some of the emerging challenges and opportunities related to freedom of expression that we should be aware of? I think there are already, you know, uh, existing uh, challenges, um, mm-hmm. right, or concerning issues like um, spreading of hate speech against, you know, marginalized communities or who are already marginalized in society. there's disinformation and censorship of speeches and freedom of expression so that is challenges that we we still facing and it doesn't change um so the existing restrictions on freedom of expression the environment um you know that has to be stopped so you know all the repressive laws like for example sedition act must be repealed you know uh, communication and multimedia act should be reformed in line with the international standards um and i think the most important i think it could be opportunity or you can say that my hope is like people need to be educated on what is legitimate speech and what is not um, right. and and people should start be educated to um to value the democracy values like you can agree to disagree peacefully you know um and one voice does not have to silence another so it's like mm-hmm. accepting differing views is actually vital for us to grow um you know and we can have open and constructive dialogues um you know i hope that we can do and we also need a greater protection and promotion for freedom of expression you know and it should be in line with international standards um and we need to allow uh, more speech and room for people to speak up uh, to receive um, informations or you know so that um people we can grow as in uh, you know informed society 
Um, the most important is also, I think, it's time for us to look into the education system, right. um, you know, um, to foster critical thinking, analytic learning, um, you know, also teaching the complexity of history and enabling, uh, you know, multi-perspective approach, you know, you know, children has to be taught, um, you know, differences and different cultures, um, you know, and it should be this education should be the center of our efforts, you know, to right. spread awareness and promote um, pluralistic ideas. Um, and also, you know, it can be the basis for countering and preventing intolerance from from the young age so that you can get rid of the biasness from young age. So when you grow up, you know, we grow up as a society that has more empathy, right. a society that understanding each other and, you know, and society who actually think that we can coexist. And that's what I hope that I can we can create in Malaysia. And on that wonderful note, Nalini, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, Dash. Thanks for having me. That was Nalini Elumalai. She's the Senior Program Manager at Article 19 Malaysia. If you missed any part of our conversation, you can also check us out on podcasts. We're available on the BFM app, bfm.my, or pretty much wherever you get your podcasts from. I'm Dashan Johan, and this has been Today I Learned, BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.